Hi, I'm Sherry Davis, Canada's Dogmaster and the trainer of Rex on the Canadian City TV series Hudson and Rex. This is How to Dog. Each episode, someone like you calls in with a canine question. This week, we're looking at puppies. Hi, Sherry. Andrew here. I want to get a puppy, but um, I want to make sure that I'm, I, I'm doing it all right. I haven't actually had a, um, a dog before. So what are the basics I should know about bringing, uh, bringing a puppy home? Thanks for your question. Are you getting a puppy? I know lots and lots of people who have bought puppies recently thanks to the pandemic. A puppy is a wonderful, sweet addition, but puppies also require a lot of work. If you want your puppy to become an adult dog that is social, responds to commands, and behaves well, this week, it's all about how-to puppy. Our new puppy is still learning how to bark. All she can come up with are rough drafts. Hi, everyone. A reminder that this podcast is not personal advice, and you should always consult with an expert when taking care of your own doggo. Over to you, Sherry. Later in the podcast, I'll be having a very entertaining conversation with Brian Kilcommons, an American author and well-known dog trainer who estimates that he's worked with more than 40,000 dogs. He's going to talk about the tools we can use to train our puppies, like crates, to keep them happy and well-behaved. That's coming up shortly. But first, I have Sydney Bleicher with me. She is the director of training at Ultimate Puppy, and she owns and operates Fresh Puppy in Toronto. She and I are going to talk about some of the common mistakes new owners make with their puppies. Sydney, welcome to How to Dog. Hi, Sherry. Hi, everybody. Can you tell us what it is that you actually do? I coach people with new puppies and I, I specialize in early education. So a really strong emphasis on socialization and prevention. Ultimate Puppy is a resource. It's an online resource for people with new puppies. It's also used by a lot of dog professionals, uh, breeders, vets, other trainers, and the letters after my name, I'm a certified trainer. So uh, dog training is an unregulated industry, but there are some sort of key uh, places where you can become educated and uh, certified. And so uh, that's what the KPA CTP is and the fear-free certified professional, uh, those, those letters after my name. <laughs> I can't believe how many times I've heard over and over, you know, over again, you know, well, puppy, they're, they're like kids. They don't understand. They're too young. But is it not true that as young as 10 weeks old, your their brains are already starting to take in like a sponge and they're remembering things. And that is like you as an owner can actually cause fear and anxiety and all these things in a puppy if you don't properly train and socialize. Is that not correct? Absolutely. You know, it's funny in my practice, when my favorite person to work with is a person before they even have the puppy. So they call me and we do a pre-puppy consultation. And and when somebody calls me and they have a 16-week-old a puppy, to me, that's old. So, so absolutely. Yes. Um, there are, they are sponges, you know, from the time they're born to about 16 weeks is a really critical period of development. So yes, when people 
first have these brand new puppies home eight, nine, 10 weeks, there is so much to do and so much to uh, pay attention to. And, and yeah, socialization is part of that, this early socialization period that, you know, ends at, we'll say 16 weeks for argument's sake. Some would argue earlier. So when you discuss puppy foundations, what, what does that actually, in, like, what is that? What, tell our people what puppy foundations means. Ooh, I love this. So to me, like when I, in my brain, there's layers, you know? So, and I think puppy foundations aren't sexy. (laughs) People want to do the, they want to do the tricks, you know, they want the dog, this 10 week old puppy to walk beautifully on a leash or, you know, to be able to pay attention to them around a big distraction. So foundations are, are the base. And so, for example, very first thing when the puppy comes home, we want to, if we're going to do crate training or some kind of confinement training, we want to start that um, out of the, you know, right out of the gate. Um, that allows you to bathroom train. That allows you to prevent off-limit item chewing. Um, that allows the puppy to get much needed sleep. You know, overexcited puppies can often be tired and they need a nap. Um, it gives you downtime. So, so foundations are the, you know, the confinement or safe spot training, bathroom training, and getting a rhythm in the house. So that's the first layer. Right. Okay you know, getting, getting to the bathroom spot and not feeling overwhelmed by, by puppy biting um, or off-limit item chewing. So that's the first layer. And then to me, it's socialization because it's time sensitive. And I want to say socialization doesn't mean puppy play. Sure, that can be part of it, but the canine socialization period is happening three to seven weeks. So the puppy's often with the litter mates. Not to say that puppy play isn't great because it is. But when I talk about socialization, it's exposure to the environment that dog needs to navigate, but not just uh, neutral exposure. It's, it's we're creating positive associations with novel experiences. So that's critical puppies early, you know, puppy foundations. Yeah. Preventative exercises games, teaching that puppy for like you talked about the couch, you know, what are preventative exercises, comfortable being handled, comfortable at the vet, or um, if you need to trim the puppy's nails or comfortable at a groomer. Uh, So comfortable when you come around and they have something in their mouth and you want, you need to take it away or you want to take it away. Uh, So prevention. And then, um, you know, and I put enrichment, and I'll talk about canine enrichment ahead of all of the, you know, the sit and the down. Remember I said, I don't think foundations are sexy (laughs) to people, (laughs) right? They want to teach roll over and give me your paw. And, and yeah, the more we teach the better, but let's do it strategically and be thoughtful about those foundations. So canine enrichment, I'd put above sit, you know? (laughs) So that's like, you know, having the opportunity to do doggy things. Dogs are predators and they want to chase and grab and shake and gnaw and shred. So learning about what makes a dog tick and providing the dog the opportunity to do that. eight-week-old puppies, 10-week-old puppies, they still need the opportunity to get their, you know, their puppy yayas out. So, right. Yeah. So those are to me foundations. And of course there's your sit and you're down and you're walking on a leash, but the, the most important sort of behavior, you know, if you want to put it in that category that I think is to work with a puppy is 
teaching them to be able to look away from distractions and check in with you without you having to ask. So when we start with a brand new puppy, feeding them all the time for them checking in with us, which is pretty normal puppy behavior. They all tend to follow us around and come really happily when we call them um, and look at us, reinforce that behavior. You're going to get more of it. That's to me with, with my students, that's a key foundation behavior that I start with. Check in, check in, check in. Now, the one thing that I have personal experience with people coming in and they're like, oh, yeah, can you bath our dogs? And and oh, my Lord, I don't think they've ever seen water. I don't think they've ever had a brush touch to them. And, you know, people get these these dogs that there's tons of doodles. And and I don't think people realize that, you know, you've got to teach these dogs to be comfortable, to be uh, brushed and groomed and same with the nail clipping. So that's all part of foundation work, I guess, is getting them used to that because it's not fair to go to a groomer and let the groomer try and deal with this dog that has never been clipped or never been brushed or never had their nails done and is freaking out there because absolutely. I mean, how pleasurable is that for the dog for starters? Now the dog has a negative, negative experience. And then how pleasant is it for the groomer to risk getting bit and have that out of control pup where, you know, for me, I would feel like I can't, I, I feel so bad. I, I would just be like, okay, okay. You're not getting groomed. Come on, baby. You know what I mean? And that would be a good choice in that particular instance. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's so stressful, not only on the dogs, but also on, on the people who are trying to help the animals. But then in the, in the flip side of that, if you don't groom them, they're going to get so matted and, and then it's, it's a whole other problem. So somewhere in that foundation, I guess, you start to introduce that kind of work too? Yes. I love that you bring this up. Absolutely. So that would fall into my prevention strategy. So, uh, you know, the umbrella term of handling exercises. And there's this really cool movement um, called cooperative care. So again, it's that it's like not your grandmother's dog training. It's, <laughs> it's, it's working with the animal. And so, for example, you know, say you want to wash the dog's face. Well, we, the, you know, you can teach the puppy to rest their chin in your palm and be comfortable with your hand coming close to their eyes or, you know, that area where everybody wants to wash the puppy's face. Um, so absolutely handling exercises. And we start with these, you know, tiny little puppies. We create a positive association with us, you know, touching paws and ears and mouth and body uh, and pa- well, the handling we pair with food. And then we can do, uh, you know, we can take that up a notch and we can bring a nail trimmer or a nail file into the picture or a spoon that might simulate a vet stethoscope, you know? So, so absolutely. There's so much awesome early work that you, you want to start right away with your new puppy to help them be able to, um, be comfortable in these situations. Cause you know what, it's not comfortable for them naturally, Right. There's so many things that we want from a dog that, you know, they're not comfortable with and all the things the dog wants to do that we don't want. And there's there's a great book written about that from one of my mentors, Gene Donaldson, called The Culture Clash. And it and it's really true. And handling is one of those things like, you know, we can pick puppies up roughly 
right out, you know, we're not mindful of how we reach down and lift them off the ground. Right. And we're not mindful of how we take things away from them if they've got off limit items in their mouth. And even that type of behavior from us is going to start to create that. "Mm, Don't touch me. Mm, Don't come near me. And then it just builds. Now, uh, can you tell us what the biggest mistake is in your opinion and what you've dealt with? What the biggest mistake is that puppy owners are making so that we can hopefully avoid our new puppy owners by making these mistakes. And of course, you know, um, hopefully they're all going to get online and contact you and go, oh, my gosh, I've got a puppy and boy, have I screwed up. Yeah. So, yeah. (laughs) If you could maybe give them a little a little heads up as to, you know, this is probably not what you should be doing at this point like contacting a coach before you get the puppy and getting prepared is critical. Like, I mean, if you don't, if you don't have a game plan, right, it can really help just the whole process go smoother and and you'll be better prepared. So I think there's two things that I'd like beside that to comment on. One is like that narrow lens view. And I've mentioned these things before from a preventative standpoint, right? It's how we handle the puppy early on reaching down, picking the puppy up really quickly. Dogs don't necessarily like to be picked up, you know? Uh, so right. being rough with a puppy or, or, you know, kids that might be uh, kids are being kids, but the combination can be a tough one sometimes. So handling the puppy gently and being mindful when the puppy picks up something in their mouth, because they are going to explore the world with their mouth and they're going to pick up everything. And as new puppy people were really nervous, they're going to swallow something, they're going to get sick, it's going to be harmful. Um, And we grab and we pull out and we chase them. And then what happens from that is they start to run away. I call people like that grabby McGrabby pants. So they're, (laughs) they're going after everything. And the puppy starts to grab it and run away. And then they might uh, start to growl when we come close or bite or swallow the thing. So just being mindful, understanding that they're going to be picking up everything. If people have treat pouches that are stuffed with treats, everybody has those poo bag holders on their leashes. It drives me crazy. So instead of the poo bag holders and they're cumbersome and they knock puppies in the head, um, (laughs) get a treat pouch. That's, you should have that before you even bring your puppy home. Have a treat pouch, have it that it's comfortable. So when your puppy's picking stuff up, you can trade them for a treat or a game of tug if they don't like a treat. There you go. Well, thank you so much, Sydney. I've really enjoyed talking with you. And hopefully our listeners had an education that they're going to take home with them. Thanks, Sherry. It was fun. Thank you. Sydney Bleicher is the Director of Training at Ultimate Puppy, and she owns and operates Fresh Puppy in Toronto. In a minute, I'll tell you a story about one of my puppies and how the mistake I made almost cost it its life. That's coming up in just a few seconds. So, I made one of the biggest mistakes a puppy owner can ever make. I did something so innocent. I had my puppy running around the house and I had to use the bathroom. So guess what I did? I got up, left the family room, went, used the bathroom. And as I was finishing up washing my hands, I hear, I come running back 
And sure enough, the puppy had ate through the electrical cord of the lamp and almost electrocuted itself. So I learned a very valuable lesson. Crates will save their lives. And if you leave a room, always make sure that you take the puppy with you or have somebody else there to watch it. Hi, Sherry. It's Trent. Uh, I have a question about crates. So I had a housemate and he had a dog and uh, he had a crate for him. And I kind of got the idea that crates aren't punishment. They're a safe space. Uh, I want to give a safe space to a puppy that I'm thinking of getting. Uh, but what I don't know is, do I crate train from day one? How do you crate train a puppy? I know nothing about that. Uh, if you have any advice, it would be super appreciated. Thanks, Sherry. Bye. My next guest is one of the best known dog trainers in the U.S. He's written nine books and is the only North American to have studied under the famous British trainer, Barbara Woodhouse. Brian Kilcommons, he's been a faculty member of the Tufts Cummings School of Veterinarian Medicine. And well, let me just say, I am super excited to introduce him to you. And especially those of you who are new puppy owners. Brian, welcome to How To Dog. Hey, Sherry, it's nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, I am so excited um, as a trainer, talking to fellow trainers and behavioralists. Uh, you know, it's a dream come true for me. And the insight that everybody has is uh, just so amazing. And the way I think of it is how to dog is not only educational, but we could save lives just by doing this podcast. Yes. So I am hoping because, you know, a lot of people out there got dogs over the lockdown. Um, you know, shelters have been empty, which is amazing. However, now we're seeing and we're hearing of a lot of dog issues, especially with young dogs and puppies. Who would think? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Now, you have a training facility. Is that not correct? Yes. The Great Pets Resort. Um it's uh, a limited intake facility. I have a home situation where the dogs come in for training. Okay. So you don't run classes per se. You actually do one-on-one -on -one with the dog where they drop it off like an inboard training program. Right. And then I, the hard part comes educating the owners. Exactly. You know what? That's what I always say. There's never a bad dog. It's misguided owners. I, I think there are a couple of challenges here now, Sherry. And tell me if you agree with me. Uh, okay. One, people don't know what they're selecting and or buying. They are impulse. So the puppy mills have done a booming business. Yeah. I just got off with a client who has a two-year-old bulldog. It has hip dysplasia and both the uh, cruciate ligaments are blown. So they're looking about, uh, I don't know, $25,000, $30,000 in medical costs. Really? And all of this, and this is important both on temperament and health is you want the genetics on the dogs. The parents should be tested. The good breeders will give you that information and they will also do something that most of these characters don't do. They will not sell you the dog unless they find out what your home situation is like. They will tell you if you cannot keep the dog, you must return it to them. Right, yes. Right? And they can prove what they're saying. At this point, dog, people are getting dogs from these puppy mills 
and they buy the stuff they see online. Many times the pictures of the dogs aren't even the same dogs. Right. There, there are two peop- types of people involved in dog breeding. And I'm sure I saw your shepherd, gorgeous shepherd, one of my faves. Thank you. But if I'm going to buy a German shepherd, I'd say I want to see what the hips are like, the elbows. And if I'm contacting a breeder, they will then send me the results. I do not take verbal ver- verification to make sure I'm getting a healthy dog. And that's just two of a long list of the challenges shepherds have with hereditary disease. And then you get into temperament. Okay, where are these dogs being raised? Right. You know, if they're raised in a cage, you're going to have a challenge if you bring it into your home. And also, I love this. I love German Shepherds. But I'll tell you, you know, the guy who created the breed said they have the look of eagles. And most of the stuff I'm getting are the look of eagles going south quickly. It's sad, actually, because... You know, they're supposed to be really active and agilic dogs. And, you know, now me. Yeah. The biggest problem. And Terry, you encounter this all the time. Expectations exceed input. Yes. They'll walk up to an eight week old puppy and go sit and go, hey, then I have they don't have computer chips up there that are pre-programming this, (laughs) you know, and in order to have a well-behaved dog, you need to learn how to teach first, not correct. Not say no, but to teach. Yeah. And there have been there have been challenges with this because some people believe you shouldn't use crates. I am so glad you brought this up. So as far as using a crate, we have cribs and play pens for children. Why? You don't let a three year old with a knife go into your living room and say, hey, I'll be back in five minutes. Be good. Right. Right. So and. I think the biggest misunderstanding is the crate is a wonderful tool to give the dog a safe space. Right. And they crave that. When you look at their natural behavior, if they're upset or stressed, they go to an enclosed or semi-enclosed area. The, the challenge is people don't know how to crate train their dogs. Right. So, you know, that you think you just stuff them in there. They're going to like it. No, they're not. Well, exactly. And, you know, I've also found and this just I I can't fathom this either is people use it as a discipline and then they can't figure out why the dog doesn't love their crate. Well, the lack of teaching and understanding is, I think, our biggest challenge. And the other thing people don't realize is, you know, half our job is a therapist. Right. You're dealing with their emotional issues. You know, it's my fur baby. Well, you missed the memo. It's a canine and it's a predator. Yeah. It's shocking, is it not? Like, and, and you know, I, I'm kind of at fault because I call them my kids. I don't have a husband. I don't have two-legged kids. I have my four-legged kids. But in the same token, you know, my kids, it's either black or white. There's no gray area. And, you know, I'm your best friend. But if you step over the line, you're going to have to be put back into place. And, you know, and, and I call them my kids, but not meaning my kids. They are dogs. I understand that. And I understand that one bite in the wrong place, uh, they could end my life. And I live in a pack of dogs. But people don't do that. People cannot fathom the difference. They, they think of them as a family member and that they put human emotions into a canine warm-blooded predator. Is that not true? Hey, Sherry. You yeah. treat a dog like it's a human, they're going to treat you like a dog. Yeah. 
You know, they're limited. They think differently. They see differently. They hear differently. And people, you know, don't take that into account. And our major mode of communication is speech, voice. Yeah. All right. Dog's major communication is body language. Yeah. Okay. Learn what your dog is saying with its body language and learn how to use yours. Learn how to teach. And, and you know, I tell people they, they smother the dog or, you know, uh, my dogs. I, I have friends with kids and nieces and nephews that come over and, you know, we'll be out at the pool and having a pool party and the dogs will be out there. But there are some dogs that don't like that. And, and those dogs, they disappear. They go into their cages. And my rule at home is if the dog is in the cage, you don't touch them, you don't bother them because that's their space. They've put themselves in a timeout because that's where they're comfortable. They don't want to be involved in all the running and, and yelling and screaming and kids and splashing. They like their crates. Yeah, they love their crate. That's their bed. They put themselves to bed. You know, they go in there, they'll take a toy in there and they'll lay down and they just don't feel like playing with any of the other dogs that are running around the house at that time. And they, they've got their own places. and Right, but they have a place to chill out. Right. Crate training. Right. How do we make it fun? How do we make the dog want to go into it? And I think people need to look at as training as more as a process than a goal. Mm -hmm. If you do the process, you'll reach the goal. But if you're just forcing it to get the dog to do it, the dog is going to resent it as they should. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't know how you start crate training, but I just get a piece of chicken and throw it in there. And they look at me and they look at the chicken. I'm like, make a decision. I'm not saying boo. That's right. And they go, oh, that's pretty cool. I'll read the dog's body language. You know, when dogs first get into crates where they overextend their hind end? Yeah. Right. Is there an axe that's going to fall on my head? Nope. This could be fun. All right. And take the time to do it. And each dog learns differently. Yeah. And you, you don't go into it where at the end of the session, the dog has to go into the crate. One of the favorite tricks I have is using a Kong. Yeah. You get some cotton rope, you tie a knot in it, run the hole through it. And I tie the Kong into the crate. Right. The chewing and licking has a calming effect. And the dog is like, I don't know who thought of this, but this is pretty cool. Well, um, how to listeners. Um, let me tell you, Brian, it has been an uh, my absolute pleasure. And honestly, I really hope we can do this again. Uh, I could sit and talk to you for hours. Maybe I'll just come out to Connecticut and check you out in person. You would be more than welcome. Well, thank you so much, Brian. Jerry, thank you for having me. It's been delightful. Brian Kilcommons is an American dog trainer and the author of numerous books, including Your Dog, An Owner's Manual, and My Smart Puppy. What a thrill to have him on the podcast. I'm Sherry Davis, Canada's Dog Master, and you're listening to How to Dog, the podcast that answers all your canine questions. I hope this episode has helped some of you with advice on how to train your puppies. It's a lot of work, and it's much better to train them when they're young. As the saying goes, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. <laughs> well, actually, you can, but that's for another episode. 
In the meantime, don't forget to give us a good review and please call us at 1-833-HOW-TO-DOG with your burning canine questions. Next week, we're going to learn about how to travel with our dogs thanks to this caller. I have a trip coming up uh, where I'm going to have to fly, and I'm nervous about taking my dog on the plane. What do I need to know about flying with the dog? How to Dog is hosted by Sherry Davis, produced by Devin Langell, Carrie Hayden, and Adam Killick. Editing and mixing by Adam Killick. Research by Nicole Saltz. How to Dog is a Shaftesbury podcast and part of the Frequency Podcast Network. You can find more great shows at FrequencyPodcastNetwork.com. Copyright 2021, Shaftesbury.